Hi there, we're coming to the end of our series on John 15. God's plan as we abide in him is that we grow in maturity and fruitfulness, becoming more and more like Jesus in both attitude and action. Over the last few weeks, we've been looking at this section of John 15. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Ian challenged us to demonstrate our love by serving others laying down our lives for them even when it's hard and costly and inconvenient and gareth reminded us that we are chosen by god and appointed to go and bear fruit as we join god on his mission to bless the world we're called to grow and go and right in the middle of that section in verses 14 to 15 is our text for today starting with verse 14 you are my friends if you do what i command wow friends. When I first followed Jesus at the ripe old age of 21, I was over the moon to be his friends. While I was excited to serve him, my thoughts were more about what he could do for me. Having grown up without a dad, mine died when I was just seven, I thought of God as the kind father I'd created in my imagination, who I could wrap around my little finger, asking him for anything I wanted, and doing whatever I wanted because there's grace, right? I had no problem seeing Jesus as my friend and saviour, but I didn't like being told what to do. It's so easy to focus on the friends and the knowing the business, but to skip the obedience and laying down your life parts. I had no idea then that being Jesus's friend would affect my whole life from that moment on. Gail O'Day comments that for modern readers, Jesus' definition of love and friendship, to lay down one's life for one's friend, is completely unprecedented. Most contemporary language about friendship doesn't speak in terms of life and death. We celebrate our friends, we eat and drink with friends, we take vacations with friends. We are there when a friend is in need, but the modern ideal of friendship is not someone who lays down his or her life on behalf of another. In the ancient world, however, Jesus' words articulated a well-known ideal for friendship, not a brand new idea. There were different levels of friendship in the ancient world, political friendships in which certain people were friends of the king or Caesar, benefactor-client friendships in which a wealthy person would become the patron of someone less well-off, and mutual friendships among equals which involved sharing confidences, possessions and in extreme cases laying down one's life for one's friend. The Tyndale commentary makes the point that Jesus's love for his disciples was of this extreme form. He would lay down his life for his friends but it also goes on to clarify how that friendship worked saying Jesus's giving of his life for his disciples showed his friendship was like that between mutual friends but the fact that he expected obedience to what he commanded reminds us that there were significant differences as well. 
the nature of their friendship is not mutual in the same way as human friendships usually are. On Jesus' side, it involved giving commands, and on the disciples' side, it involved obedience. That theme of obedience runs right through Jesus' conversation with the disciples that night. We heard from Brit that we remain in his love by keeping his commands. And earlier, in John 14, 15, we read, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in verse 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. However, to be clear, obeying him doesn't earn us his friendship. Rather, it's a way of us demonstrating our love towards him. It's a response to him choosing us. Now, at the ripe old age of 58, I'm more excited than ever to be a friend of Jesus. But I also know that he is my Lord. He gives the commands. You see, we can be in danger of coming down on one side or the other. We don't want to so emphasize his authority that we lose out on the companionship and affection of Jesus. But neither do we want to be flippant, as in, hey, what's up, dude? Jesus is my pal. And we trivialize the friendship and act as though how we behave doesn't matter, but it does. But before you begin to feel the weight of that as a burden on your shoulders, let's look at obedience in the context of Jesus' whole conversation with the disciples that night, skipping back to John 14. Just look at what is sandwiched in there between those two Keeping Commandments verses. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Jesus promises that he will not leave them, that he will come to them, yet we know that after his resurrection he did leave returning to the Father. So how would he manifest himself to them? In John chapter 16, in the midst of the disciples' sorrow because he's going away, he tells them that his leaving would be to their advantage or the Holy Spirit wouldn't come. But I'm sure they were like, right, how will we manage without Jesus physically present? They had walked and talked with him for three years. How could his leaving be advantageous? But listen to what Jesus tells them about the work of the Holy Spirit. He reminds us of all that Jesus said. He bears witness about Jesus. He convicts the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He guides us into all truth and he declares to us the things that are to come. He glorifies Jesus by taking what is from Jesus and declaring it to us. Jesus reveals and glorifies the Father. The Spirit reveals and glorifies Jesus. A beautiful picture of the Trinity working together in harmony. And Grudem points out that the Spirit is the primary manifestation of the Spirit among us now. And I love what the Tyndale Commentary says. Listen to this gem. With the coming of the Counselor, the exalted Jesus would make himself present to his disciples in the here and now. This is a reminder that the function of the Holy Spirit is not restricted to the bestowal of spiritual gifts or the production of Christian character 
but includes the creation of a sense of intimacy with Jesus himself as well. I want that. The Holy Spirit is referred to as the paraclete, coming from the original Greek parakletos, meaning the one who walks alongside us. It has many meanings. He's a friend, an advocate, a comforter, helper, teacher, guide. And scripture encourages us to live by the Spirit, walking with him, keeping in step with him. Through the Spirit, Jesus is with us today. And as we walk with him and obey him, yielding to his work in our hearts, we begin to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And as Ian said last week, the formation of Christian character in us leads to Christian conduct which leads to converts as we preach the gospel. But not only does the Spirit form our character to be like Jesus, he gives us spiritual gifts and fills us with the power that we need to live the life to which God is calling us. Just before he ascended to heaven to go back to the Father, he told his disciples, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And at Pentecost, that's what happened. That scared, ragtag group of disciples were transformed, bearing fruit wherever they went demonstrating their love for Jesus by obeying his command to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything he had commanded them. How could they do that? Because Jesus was with them by the Spirit. They received power from on high, and that same Spirit works in us and through us today. Being a friend of Jesus means that we obey his commands, but he has sent his spirit to help us. He has not left us alone. He is always with us and he has chosen us to bear fruit, inviting us to join him on his mission to bless the whole world. We get to partner with him. Astonishing and very exciting. Our next verse, John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Not only has he called us friends, but he wants to share the master's business with us. This is that sharing of confidences that took place in mutual friendships in the ancient world. My friend Natalie Williams, who many of you have met, says that for her, being a friend of Jesus means that he cares about my heart and how I think, the details of my life, and that my response is to care about his heart, what he thinks. And in true friendship, we do care about our friends, their desires and their dreams. It's a two-way street. Spurgeon comments, that there is mutual friendship between Christ and the believer. There cannot be friendship if it is all on one side. There is bounty, there is kindness, and there may be some gratitude in return. But friendship is a reciprocal thing. 
in its fullest sense it is between two and the one heart must be as the other heart or there is no friendship going on to say that when we are friends of jesus what jesus loves we love what jesus hates we hate what jesus seeks we seek what jesus shuns we shun now christ's object or his goal is his father's glory if you are christ's friends that object is yours too his object is to seek and save the lost if you love him you seek to save the lost also in your way he loves truth holiness righteousness he delights in that which puts an end to misery to evil to cruelty to wrongdoing do you delight in the same natalie does she's well known for her interest in the things that are important to jesus speaking on mercy and justice for the poor across the uk and earlier this year she took over the leadership of jubilee plus an organization involved in biblically based social action now we won't all be called to head up an organization but god's heart is so big and his plans are so vast and varied that he has a way for each of us to bear fruit as we spend time abiding in jesus the spirit will reveal to each of us the plans of the father and isn't it amazing that we can know that as friends of jesus we yield control of our lives to him he commands and we obey he's now in the driver's seat but guess what we get to ride shotgun and riding shotgun on mission with jesus is always a big adventure he reveals specific missions to each one of us individual ones like going across the street to deliver a meal to a neighbor or across the office to invite a colleague to alpha or giving a chunk of money to an offering for church planting or leaving your friends and family and going to church plant to another nation another city another town or becoming a foster parent or tutoring a child and countless other things and then there are corporate missions where god is asking us as a church to do specific things like 10 to 5 fruit trees by working towards five congregations which means we'll also need to multiply our community groups so we'll need more host homes and leaders too at the last prayer and praise evening i was excited when val shared a prophetic word that i felt demonstrated this partnership she said that god wants to build a circle of trust with us he fills us with his spirit asks us to take a step of faith for something that we can't do in our own strength and as we obey he meets us and that results in praise and worship and the whole thing starts all over again, ever increasing circles of trust. She reminded us that he asks us to do what we can't do without him and went on to ask us, what's your next step of faith? And isn't it encouraging that it is a step-by-step -step process? As we get to know Jesus more closely as a friend, he reveals more and more of his heart to us. And as we're faithful to do the little things, he reveals the next steps. It's like we're building our muscles of obedience. Now my experience is that the spirit is like that friend who always has this crazy, seemingly impossible idea and they want you to be involved. You know that this crazy harebrained scheme is going to cost you time, energy, money, and possibly your reputation. But you also know that in the end, it's going to be great. This happened to me this time last year in working with the ladies in Act Two. I was so aware that transport is a key issue. 
in getting back on the road to recovery. How do you drop your child at daycare and then go to work without a car? And how do you earn enough money to buy a car if you can't get to work? I was having coffee on my deck with a neighbour and we were chatting about this issue. As she left, she casually said, well, if you ever set up a programme to help to provide cars, make sure you let us know, because we'd love to contribute to something like that. Boom, her words hit me with force as I sensed the Holy Spirit ask me, hey, Ray, how about that? My mind was racing with how great that would be, but how much would that cost? How would we get the money? How many cars? I was dreaming about the possibilities when I felt God nudge me to contact a friend and ask him for help and money. Aye, 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 that would be embarrassing, but the thought wouldn't go away. I was actually recording a sermon about Ananias obeying God and going to lay hands on Saul to receive his sight. And I posed the question, what if Ananias hadn't obeyed? Ouch, I was convicted by my own preaching. So as soon as I had finished, I recorded a short video message and sent it to my friend saying, I have a crazy idea for a fund that matches someone's saving, which will help put people in cars and get them on the road to recovery. I'm calling you because you love cars, you love driving and you love me. I want to kind of offer you a job, but I can't pay you and I need your help and your money. And he agreed. And then Britt Drew and Brian Aldrich joined the team and we jumped on the idea and we just got going fast. That was in the middle of last December and the first room room beep beep car was on the road by Christmas. Whoop whoop, here it is. We set a goal of doing a car each quarter and we had a blast interviewing applicants and blessing them with financial help which enabled them to buy a car. July quickly came around and we didn't have any funds but we already had a recipient waiting for a car. We prayed and prayed and someone gave us a car. Here's Mariah when we went to pick up her plates and put them on the car. What a great day. Just last week in CG we were asking how do we know that we're chosen by God and Mariah said that when she received her Vroom Vroom Beep Beep award she knew that she had been chosen by God. That answered prayer made the presence of God very real to her and now she's busy giving other people rides in her car. And just two weeks ago, we were able to give out our sixth award. Here's Brit presenting the check. When we get to see the joy on someone's face and hear, when they hear that they've been chosen, it often brings tears to our eyes and to theirs. When we hear what a difference it makes in our lives, it's wonderful. One of our recipients wrote this piece entitled Do to explain what it means to her. Just as a tire isn't made for the purpose of sitting on a shelf, I'm not here to sit on the sideline of life either. Everything God designs and births has an intentional purpose and a specific assignment that grows and expands over time. We're supposed to engage with uncertainty, fear and challenge. That's where we discover our calling. God can't bless actions we never take. This amazing Subaru allows me to take action in my life. This is a true game changer for my son and me, and I believe it's the bridge to a greater blessing. This allows me to connect to more people where I can make a meaningful impact using my gifts God gave me in simple, unique and everyday ways. Wow. So there are now six Vroom Vroom Beep Beepers on the road, 
one more than the target we set at the beginning of the year. And it's been humbling and rewarding to partner with God. Just like Val said, when we see the fruit of our faith, praise and worship rises up to God. But incredibly, we get to share in his joy too. Nothing quite like that. Partnering with the Holy Spirit is like being in a Mission Impossible movie. There's always that line that says, your mission, should you choose to accept it, fill in the blank. And it sounds impossible and crazy, and we think about what could go wrong. But while we don't want to be reckless, we must be careful that our caution isn't a lack of faith masquerading as wisdom, because God wants us to take steps of faith. He is the God who turns impossibilities into possibilities. We get to partner with the Holy Spirit. Being a friend of Jesus means that we obey him, we partner with him, and we share in his joy as we are on mission together to bless the whole world. What a privilege. Hey, what is your next step?